Good morning, church. It's good to have you with us this morning. So good to be here with you. Um, I don't know if you've noticed this about the Bible, but there are times in the Bible where the topic, the subject matter, is a little barbed. Uh, There are moments, uh, the few passages in Scripture where we read them and It's sharper. Uh, There are those few times in which God gives a word to a preacher of the past who who records it in the Bible. Uh, We read through it and we automatically realize that this piece of Scripture is a little trickier. We get one of those this morning. We get one of those tricky passages. We get one of those uh, passages that's a little sticky when we walk through it. Uh, We get one of those passages that's that's a little barbed. And if you're not careful, you might just catch yourself. We're going to get one of those passages in the book of Malachi today. As we continue on in this series of learning to live with God, um, he's going to dump into our laps a topic, a subject matter that's a little tricky. It's it's one of those passages uh, that just has a little sharp edge to it. Now, I know that some of us are going to have an, uh, think we have an idea of what God is going to say uh, about this particular passage, uh, about this particular topic, about this uh, particular sharp-edged subject matter. But I'm going to ask that you would just hold your reservation and allow us to walk through this passage and actually hear what it is that God is saying. So would you open up with me, join me in Malachi, or if you prefer the Hebrew pronunciation, Maliki. You can really impress all of your friends. Malachi chapter 2, and I'm going to begin in verse 10. If you're Sitting there, you need a pew Bible in front of you. Go ahead and grab that. Page 669 is where you're going to find this passage. 669. When we come to this particular section of Scripture, what we find is that God is talking about divorce. Read with me in verse 10. Do we not all have one Father? Did not God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary of the Lord. Uh, the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign god. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings an offering to the Almighty Lord. Another thing you do? You flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask, why? 
Well, it's because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is partner, is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. That's not the one God made you. You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring, of course. So be on your guard and don't be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. I don't know about you, but there are these passages like this that are a little sharper. Uh, We begin to ask all sorts of questions, don't we, about marriage and divorce and remarriage and what exactly it is that that God loves or hates or or rejects. Uh, What exactly is it that the Lord would have us know? Maybe you have questions about divorce. Uh, Maybe your translation read something like, God hates divorce. And you're beginning to ask the sort of question that maybe I would ask. Well, if I'm a divorced person, if I were a divorced person, does God hate me? If I happen to know someone who who was divorced but isn't any longer... uh, They've remarried. Does God hate that person? And what of all the situations, uh, what of all the situations where people come to be divorced? I mean, uh, isn't there other places in Scripture where God says other things about divorce and it doesn't seem like he hates them there? I mean, if there's terrible infidelity in a marriage, does God allow for divorce there? If a woman has been beat physically and emotionally and she finally gathers up enough courage to to, to leave that relationship, does God hate her forever? Oh, there's all kinds of questions in regards to divorce. I'm not sure Malachi answers all of them. But it is one of those sticky passages, isn't it? It's one of those sharp, barbed edge kinds of passages that we come to and maybe we want to skip over and move to the next page. But I can assure you this morning that what God is saying in His Word this morning, uh, actually it, it applies to every single person in this room, whether you're married or unmarried, whether you're old or whether you're young. And now we're going to have to uh, walk through what it is that God says about divorce in order to get there. Uh, so the first part, uh, we're just going to simply uh, take a couple of moments and say, okay, what, what is it that this passage says about divorce? But then maybe even more importantly, what we're going to look at is why. We're going to look at what? We're going to look at what God says here, but uh, then we're going to say, uh, why? Uh, see, there's something underneath of the what. Uh, There's something underneath of the content of what God says here uh, that if we miss, we really miss this entire passage. And it's the why uh, that really uh, gives everybody in this room something to walk away with this morning. 
So what is it that God says about marriage and divorce? Well, one of the things that he says is that he pays witness uh, when two people get together. Uh, that God is present at the union of, of, of a man and a woman who come to be married. That he is there. He's present. He's with them in some way. Uh, that, that God is there. Uh, just look at verse 14. It's because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. Uh, God is present in some way uh, when you come to be married or, uh, or you are in a marriage or maybe someday, those of you who are still students, you want to be married someday. That when you come and you come maybe to a church like this one and uh, the pastor speaks in a sermon and uh, he opens up the Bible and he pronounces you husband and wife and you can kiss the bride, uh, that God is present there. But he's there in that moment. He's watching. He's a witness to this whole thing. Uh, when you come to the license part, uh, it's almost as if God uh, silently signs his name to your marriage license. That God is there. And for anyone who would deny that, uh, for anyone who would uh, whimsically look across the fence uh, to some other person, uh, to someone who would needlessly uh, take a peek through the knothole in their fence to someone else's yard, uh, to some other person, man or woman, God holds the strongest language for them. Uh, he, he says, uh, go back now, just a couple of verses in verse 12. He says, as for the man who does this, as for the man who divorces his spouse, his wife, whoever he may be, may the Lord remove from him the tents of Jacob, even though he brings an offering to the Lord. I mean, he's holding uh, maybe the strongest language back here. He's saying, hey, uh, even though um, if, you, if you are married and I have witnessed it and I have been there and you begin to look across the fence and you look at someone else and some other person and the yard looks a little greener over there and you divorce the woman or the spouse of your youth in order to go and be with them, he says, even if you come into the sanctuary and you bring worship, I'm not listening because you've created so much pain, I'm listening to their cries and not yours. Now that sounds pretty harsh, doesn't it? I, in fact, in one section of this passage, he says, uh, I'm cutting them off. So it would seem very simple the what of this passage seems like it's fairly straightforward. If you are married, you better stay married. You better keep your eyes to yourself. You better not be looking through knot holes or across the fence or into another yard uh, to seek out someone who is not your spouse. And if you do, you better, not, uh, you better not be divorcing someone so that you can go and be with them because God's not real happy with that plan. When it says later on that God rejects this, he's saying, this is not part of my plan. 
He says in an encouraging way at the very end, uh, toward the, the verse 15, he says, Has not God, has not the one God made you? Uh, talking about marriage, he says, You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? He said, Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. You know that spouse that you married when you were young? Pay attention. Men, women, wives, husbands, pay attention. Look at them. Be loyal to them. Love them. Stay in relationship with them. This is what the Lord desires. That you would be married. That you would be faithful to the spouse of your youth. And you would look nowhere else but them. Now, I suppose, I suppose that I could end the sermon there and we could sing a few songs and I'll go home and you guys could leave knowing that the Lord doesn't love divorce. Uh, but I'm not quite sure that that answers the sorts of questions that we're asking. I'm not sure that that gets at, at this barbed topic. Instead, I think we have to dig a little bit underneath of this text to understand why this particular topic came up for all of Israel. I think we actually have to, to dig and, and go underneath of the what in order to understand why God brought this topic of divorce up uh, to the nation of Israel. We've looked at the why or the what, and I want to look with you at the why. Why does God choose at this moment in Israel's history why does he choose to talk about this barbed, sticky, sharp topic of divorce? God chooses, God chooses to talk about divorce because it has to do with a broken covenant. It has to do with a broken relationship, not between a man and a woman but first between God and his people. You see, this is the story that Malachi walks into. You see, long before we ever have a man and a woman in this passage, long before there's ever a witness to a marriage, there is a God and his people. Are you with me? Uh, you see, uh, God chose Israel, and he walked into a relationship with them. And he said, hey, I want a covenant. And a covenant is, is really a fancy word to say there's a, a relational contract that both sides sign. Those of you that are married, you understand. You have different roles in your relationship. You have certain things that you do. Uh, there are certain boundary lines that, uh, that you know are acceptable and some that you know are unacceptable. My wife doesn't allow me to kiss anybody else. Is that a surprise? Of course not. Of course it's not a surprise. Those are boundaries that she knows and I know that we have set. And God sets those kind of boundaries for his people. It's a, it's a fence line. It's a boundary. 
Part of the reason that we get into a book like Malachi and we begin to, to talk about living with God is because uh, all of us who uh, desire to follow Jesus, we're in a very similar sort of covenant relationship, but this time it's with Jesus. We follow Him. And so He has given us relational boundaries, hasn't He? He said, hey, you, you can wander in these boundaries all that you want, but don't look outside. Don't look outside the fence. There's some things that I expect uh, that your life is going to produce, but you have to stay in these boundaries. Well, the same thing was happening with Israel. Uh, God had entered into this covenant. He had entered into this relationship uh, with his people, and they both signed off on it. Uh, they both put their name on the dotted line. Uh, they both entered into and said, yes, this sounds really good. You know, one of the issues in the covenant was that you would not marry. You would not marry someone who is foreign. That men wouldn't marry foreign women. Now, some of you are thinking, what, what in the world? Why would that be? The issue primarily was not the issue of where you came from. It wasn't about ethnicity, but it was about your loyalty to God. Here, here's the issue. You see, there, there are actually people in Jesus' line who are foreigners. So you think, well, wait a minute. Those people are foreigners. But Ruth... Foreigner, Rahab, foreigner. Wait a minute. Didn't they break your covenant? No. The issue with marrying a foreign woman. Every time we see these particular words put together in the way that they are in this text about foreign women, marrying foreign women, or the daughters of foreign women, it's the issue that they have a loyalty and an allegiance in worship to a God that it is not the God Almighty. And so they were saying, God was saying, when you look over the fence and when you divorce the woman of your youth and when you take her and you throw her on the garbage heap and you look to someone else other than the woman who you married when you were young, when I was there, what he is saying is, you have broken your covenant with me. You see, Israel... Israel was to be a light to the nations. They were to be the lampstand. Uh, they were to be the light to the world. Uh, they were the ones who were supposed to be influencing all the other nations around them in regards to God. And they were to help them come and worship the one true God. And what was happening in marrying foreign women is they were influencing in this very basic piece of culture and society, they were influencing all of Israel not to worship the God Almighty, but to worship foreign gods, to worship idols. And so the corruption of marriage, first and foremost, was a corruption of the covenant relationship that God had made with his people. 
Uh, look very closely at the, uh, the first several verses uh, and you'll find that it's just wrought with all sorts of language that says the covenant was being broken. Do we not all have one Father? Did not God create us? And when they're talking about God creating us and there being one Father, he's talking about the fact that God entered into a relationship with the nation. He was the father of the nation. Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? You see, the issue from the very beginning was that the corruption of marriage meant the corruption of the covenant. As As God's people were leaving their marriages to marry foreign women, he was saying, not only are you leaving uh, for them, you are leaving me. So, the issue is much bigger then, isn't it? Uh, Divorce in this passage really is an illustration from the Lord uh, to say you have left the covenant. You've left the relationship and he is calling them back. So maybe you're sitting there saying, you know what, I'm, I'm very happily married. I don't even need to listen to this passage. Uh, maybe you're, you're, you're sitting there thinking, uh, I don't have any issue with this whatsoever. I don't need to hear about divorce. Maybe you're young and you think, I'm not married. I don't need to worry about it. But here's the question that this text begs us to answer. It doesn't beg us to answer all the different nuances to divorce in the Bible. It doesn't ask us what is acceptable for divorce and what's not acceptable. It doesn't answer any of those. But it does beg us to answer the question, what in your life right now is a temptation so great that you might actually think of leaving the Lord? What what is it out there for you that is so active in your life that it appeals to you so much even though the Lord warns against it. This is what was happening for Israel. They knew what they should do and they knew what they shouldn't do but they were leaving the relationship with God. For something that they thought they desired outside of it. So what is it for you? What is it for you that that appeals to you and you would say, I might actually think about leaving this relationship with the Lord. And maybe it is. Maybe it is another woman. Maybe it's another man. Maybe it's that person from your workplace that you find so very attractive Maybe they're, tall, maybe they're tall, dark, and handsome, and maybe they're not. Maybe just emotionally, you have this thing uh, conjured up, this fantasy in your mind that if you could just marry that person, everything in your life would be better. Uh, but it would require uh, of you, uh, that you would that you would forsake your relationship with God 
in order to have it. Uh, perhaps it's, uh, it's, it's not that man. Perhaps it's that woman. And when you see her, you think, oh man, if I could only have that woman, then life would be grand. And you look through the knothole, you look over the fence into that yard, and you think, oh, the grass is so much greener over there. But what it would take is you would have to leave your relationship with God in order to get there. And maybe it's not a relationship at all. Maybe it's not a man. Maybe it's not a woman. Maybe it's finances. Uh, do you ever notice that sometimes finances can run our life? Do you ever find yourself in anxiety or worry over what, what the next paycheck will bring or how you're going to provide? And maybe there's that job hanging out there. Uh, maybe there's that job just, just over the, the next hill. Maybe there's that investment that someone promises you that you're going to be able to make and you're going to make the kind of money that you always thought you could and should make. But the minute that you walk past and you walk through that door and you open up that gate and walk over there, you know that there's going to be some ethics that you're going to have to bend that don't agree with what Christ would have you do. And so what you're saying in that moment is, I am willing to leave my relationship with God in order for the money to be there. What is it for you? Uh, what is it for you that would tempt you so much that you would say, does it really matter, this whole relationship with God thing? Uh, maybe, maybe I can just come to church and do my thing, uh, and then after church, uh, what I will do is, is I will go and pursue that which is outside. But let me remind you what the Lord has already said. For those who would do that, he says, your offerings aren't acceptable to me. Go back. Go back. Don't, don't leave. Crew, this is all about our relationship with God. And what he's asking of us is to really live with God and love in the right direction. You see, we can love in all the wrong directions, can't we? We can love across the fence. We can love through the knothole. But God, through this passage, is simply saying, will you learn to live with me and love in the right direction? That I, that I would be good enough for you. That you would obey and stay within the confines of this loving relationship that I have created for you. And that whatever stands outside of the fence, whatever's in the other yard, you would say, I I can't and I won't because I'm committed to loving in the right direction. Would you pray with me? Lord God, I thank you so much for who you are and all that you do. And Lord, these sticky passages, these hard, sharp teachings of your word. Lord, I pray for all of us that we will be faithful people. That there would be nothing in our life that would cause us to leave this relationship with you. I pray that it wouldn't be money. I pray that it wouldn't be men or women. 
I pray that it wouldn't be opportunity or friendship or popularity. Lord, that all of us, we would choose to be faithful to you. Lord, I pray that we would live with you and we would love you. And that our love would always be pointed in the right direction. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. In Jesus' holy and precious name that we pray. Amen.